Well, good morning, Calvary. How are you? Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. Thanks for squeezing in. Uh, we have a great crowd here today. We appreciate that. If you are uh, looking for more space, there is a little more space for you at the 8.30 or the 11.30 service, but you can come any service you want. I just want you to know that you can have a little more room to spread out there as you do. Um, it's the week after Easter, and I don't know about you, but uh, this last week has been an interesting week for me. And I would love to tell you that every week that I experience, it feels like everything's great. But this last week has just been a difficult week for me. And as I sit there and I, I, I think about that, I'm going to read a passage out of Philippians that talks about that. I want to just acknowledge the fact that sometimes life is very hard. We're going to be reading out of Philippians. And I want you to know a little bit about the Philippians um, and the church at Philippi, okay? The church at Philippi was the church that was probably uh, not as well-to-do. The Roman government had come in and stolen their resources. They had come in and, and taken things from them. They were not the people that were sitting there having all of the privileges of all the advantages of life. They, they were a struggling church that had persecution. Not persecution like you and I think of where someone bashes you on social media, but persecution, persecution where they might lose their life for following Christ. And through all of this, Paul is trying to encourage this church, and he's thankful for them. And he writes a, just a powerful, powerful book in the book of Philippians. And here's what he says, beginning in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's just stop right there for a moment. This passage is, is a great passage, and we can sit there, we can read that, and we go, that's awesome. I'm excited. That was a great, great message. It was a motivational speech until you realize it wasn't really a motivational speech. It was actually a command, an imperative is a command, in case you didn't know that. I learned that in Greek. I didn't know that early on in life, but it's a command. And here's what he says there. He says, rejoice. When? Always. Rejoice. Always. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So don't worry and rejoice. And I sit there and I go, how, do I, how am I supposed to do that? Have you ever felt like that? How am I supposed to rejoice in all things? I mean, we do the comparative game, right? We sit there and we go, last week was bad for me, but it was worse for so-and-so. And we could, we could do that. We could struggle with that. We could, we could try to rationalize it. We could try to find our own peace. But really what he's saying there is there's something in us as followers of Jesus that understand that we are to live and look differently. And verses 4 through 7 is really the outcome of our faith. The way that we know that we're living our faith out the way that God intended it is that we're at peace and that we're rejoicing in all things, that, that we're saying it in, in a good way and we're presenting our requests and we're living at peace no matter what comes through the storm in Christ alone. He is our cornerstone. You know, it's not just words we sing, we believe it. But the how of how to do that is where we're going to spend the next four weeks. In Philippians 4, 8, here's what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, 
what is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. I I love this passage because it, it tells us the way to focus our mind and says to dwell on these things. The name of our new series is To Dwell or Dwell. And a dwelling um, is a place that should be familiar. Feel safe and be a place that you want to be. So where are you dwelling? Say my house. Okay, good. That's a dwelling. That's a physical location. But really what Paul is referring to here is not a physical location. He's talking about a spiritual, a spiritual, a spiritual place. Sometimes the Texan just comes out, y'all. Um, It is a spiritual place. It is a place where we allow our heart, our mind, our very soul to go, to dwell. And one of the alarming realities of the world we live in is that very few of us ever feel at home. We ever ever feel safe, and we struggle with that. And and I, I want you to understand that God wants you to dwell with him, to be at peace. And that's where we're going with this series. So to understand this, I want to just break down a bunch of words in this passage. And I want to start first with the word dwell. Some versions translate it to think. And what it really is saying there is to occupy oneself with reckoning or calculations. To occupy oneself. That makes sense. I'm going to dwell within myself. Dwell within my mind, right? (laughs) So let's, let's unpack this, okay? You're dwelling where you are dwelling. But you're dwelling in your mind. And so what happens a lot of times is we look around and we sit there and go, how can I feel safe and secure in my mind? Well, you do that by coming up with your own calculations, your own rationale, your own understanding. You occupy yourself with what you're thinking. And and reality says that every single moment of the day, your mind is thinking, unless you're a guy and you go to that no space, the place where you just shut off and go, oh, you know? But you're thinking all the time and you're trying to dwell there and you're trying to understand. And what he's saying here is, I want you to understand you need to dwell with me in the place that I ask you to be. So where are you dwelling? Here's another reality. Our dwellings are under attack. And we know that. And because our dwellings are under attack, we put up our safety measures, our security measures. We put up our dukes. And we look at the world and we feel like the world is attacking us. Our loved ones are attacking us. Sometimes we can even feel like our church is attacking us. We can feel like everyone's attacking. So we, we put our guards up and we sit there. And what, we result, what the result of that is we are never really at peace. But what if there was something else that you need to understand? What if there's some place that we can actually go where we can find true peace? Part of the way we do this is to gain a, perf- a proper perspective. A proper perspective of who actually is attacking us. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heaven. So let me just be very real and transparent with you this morning. Part of our problem is we don't understand that spiritual warfare is real. And that there is an enemy who really wants to come and, and to steal, kill, and destroy. 
He wants to take captive your thoughts, take captive your mind. He wants to take you to a place that you shouldn't go. And he wants to convince you that your life is the most miserable life and that everybody else's life is great and that you are struggling. And and so what ends up happening is we start trying to find all the permutations of how to get out of the problems. And so we start doing this dangerous game called the what if game. The what if game is the place where we sit there and go, I've got to think about what could happen. So what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And before long, we end up going down a dangerous road and a dangerous path that leads us not only not at peace, but at war with ourselves and with others. And so what ends up happening, it looks like this. I sit there and I feel insecure. And the only way to make myself feel secure is to put up my dukes because I feel like you're attacking me. But when you're attacking me, what ends up happening is I punch back, which makes you feel attacked. You see how this works? And once you feel attacked, you feel punched, so you're not going to let me punch you, so you put up your dukes. And and that's how the world works because we don't recognize that the enemy wants to distract us from what is true and distract us from the reality that says God doesn't want us to constantly be at war with everyone else, which is a result of us really being at war with the enemy within whispering the lies that he whispers. And so when we understand this reality, we bring the proper weapons to the battle. We understand that it's not just our spouse who, if we could just get them to understand our viewpoint, would totally change the way they live. Or our kids would suddenly miraculously be angels. Or the government would stop. Or the teacher would stop kids. I know, I've been there. Or my parents, I roll or the neighbor, or the boss at work. It's not, what we have to do is understand how God wants us to be at peace within the dwelling that he's made for us, which is the reality of what Easter is. The tomb is still empty and God himself is dwelling with you if you follow Jesus. So what do we have to fear? So how do we get there? Because you're like, that sounds like a great idea. Well, good. That's what we're doing the next four weeks. You ready? Let's start unpacking this. The first place, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. The word true is a Greek word that means honorable, that which is open, real, actual, tangible. It is the ignoring the whispers of the enemy. John 10, 10 says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come so that they have my, they may have life and have it to abundance. So are you having life in abundance? A life at peace? This is a, a good sermon where a good point in the sermon where I'm going to pause and, and say time out. This is a lot of times what happens. People come up to me afterwards and they go, pastor, that was, or Daniel, whatever you want to call me. I'm fine with that. Uh, that was a great message. My so-and-so needed to hear that. Pastor, all those other people, they needed to know that. This sermon series, once again, the principalities, the the things that we're dealing with aren't, listen, for once in your life, I'm asking you as a pastor to think about yourself, all right? And to ask yourself, are you at peace? When we understand the thief wants to come and steal your peace and make you not have life and not to have it in abundance, the way you have to understand is we have to unpack what is true. What is true? Well, God is true. So over this last um, 
few months, we've done a lot of things talking about that and, and really starting to, to wage the war within you. We've, we've done the 30 names of Jesus. We've done the God statements. We, we've done scripture memorization and knowing the importance of this. We've challenged you to read his word. Also, you can be drawn into the presence because no one can defeat us. We win if we are with Jesus. In fact, we even did a sermon series in the middle of This Is Us. And we threw this up on the screen. And it says the characteristics of God. And he said, if you're struggling with having someone who is uh, being loving, then go to 1 John uh, 4.8. If you're struggling with forgiveness, can God love me in all circumstances? No, you don't know what I've done. You know, I can't be at peace because I've done fill in the blank. Then we go to 1 John 1.9. If we're struggling with faithfulness, you go to 1 Corinthians 10.13. If you go to full of grace, struggling with grace, then you go to James 4.6. If you're looking for truth, you go to Proverbs 35-6. And what you find is as you read his word, as you're drawn into his presence, you begin to realize that nothing can defeat us. Why? Because he has already defeated death. And even if this world defeats me, I could spend forever with him. And so the peace I have is trusting that he is the great I am, the conqueror of life, the conqueror of hope. He is omnipresent. He is all-knowing, omniscient, that nothing comes up in the world that can. So if you've had a difficult week and you're sitting there going, boy, my life is hard. If you're sitting there struggling in your marriage, if you're sitting there struggling right being a parent, if you're sitting there struggling in your singleness, if you're sitting there struggling with whatever reality is facing you, God loves you and wants to walk you through it. And that is truth. Now here's the reality. We've already alluded to it earlier, but let's wrap it back around. Why we don't accept that reality is we play the what if game. Now, I used to say this. Uh, if you want to defeat something, because the what if game leads to worry. The what if game leads to anxiety. And the reason we play the what if game is because we think we have to defend our turf. We have to defend our dwelling. And so an only way to defend our dwelling is to be able to defend every single kind of attack that could possibly come at us. And so we build our bank accounts up in case we lose our savings account. We build our life up in case we lose our job is what I meant to say. We build up our friendships hoping that we can protect them. We start doing all these things. And, and the reality is you can't build up the defenses of your life big enough to, to, to make you safe. But God can. And so what you have to replace, if you want to conquer a sin, you have to replace it with the opposite good. So here's what it looks like. Instead of leaning into the what if, you replace it with the what is. And what is, is truth. God is truth. He is the provider, the protector, the prince of peace, the great I am, the healer, our source of strength, our judge, yes, but our friend, our advocate, omnipresent, omnipotent, all-knowing, everywhere, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. So what do you have to fear? Because the God who conquered death is still here. And when you start realizing the truth of that, you start going, okay, I can do this. Then yeah, life can be hard. But you know God is with you. And you don't have to defend yourself because he's already doing it. Now, God gives you a brain. You don't run out in front of a car because you had the right of way. You're, you can be right and be dead right. My dad used to love to say that, right? <laughs> but you don't have to worry about it. Because you trust in God. And that's what it means to lean into the truth. Now, if you thought that was good, I, 
The next one's better. I'm not supposed to have favorites, but the next one's better. What is true? Finally, brother and sister, what is true? And whatever is honorable. Honorable is the idea of nobility. Honorable is honest, venerable, reputable. The word, the word there is only used four times throughout the Bible. The word truth is used in a multitude of ways and facets throughout the Bible. The word honorable is only used four times. So I'm about to read you a scripture and you're going to sit there and go, I don't understand how that makes sense. How is that a part of this passage? I don't, Daniel, you don't know what you're doing. You're clearly lost. You don't understand what it's like to be in the congregation. Okay. Spoiler alert. I do. We're going to bring it back around and you're going to see where it goes. So I'm going to read. Here it goes. First Timothy 3, 8 through 11 says this. Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of their faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. Their wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, and faithful in everything. Now, some of you are sitting there going, what does that have to do with anything? Well, here's what's going on. Timothy is describing how the leader should be. And the worthy of respect is the same word that we get when he says noble in uh, the Philippians 4.8, or honorable. And so what he's saying is they should be living a life that is honorable. So Timothy is describing how the leader should be, but Paul is describing in this passage how all Christians should live. So let me explain it to you like this. Some of you are like, well, the deacons should be that. Right, we all should be. Why are the deacons made deacons? Because they're living like we all should be. This may be a shock to some of you, but very few people sit there and you go, how can I be a deacon? Okay, I've got to start living like an honorable person because my goal in life is to deke. <laughs> I know I will have arrived when I get to deke. I don't know if I actually know if that's the way you say that word, but I just like saying it. it sounds fun. <laughs> oh, I got to deke. That's not the goal. The reason they are set apart as deacons is because they're living like we all should be living. And it's been proven over time that they're living in an honorable way. Now, some of you are like, I still don't understand. This is boring. Get on to the point. Here's where we're going, okay? Because I'm about to get excited. And I hope you get excited. If not, you know, you can just calm me down. Just go like this and I'll calm down, okay? Here's what's going on. Paul in Philippians is writing to the people in the church of Philippi saying, you need to live this way. Timothy, in this passage, is writing to them saying deacons should be like this. Now, when he's writing to these people, what he's really saying is not that you should do this, because this is the part where I'm going to say, focus on you, and now I want you to see the bigger point of the church, okay? As you're following the, what the church should look like, the church should be full of people who are honorable. How you doing? Not only should we be honorable, but what we should be doing is practicing honor with one another. Respect. And so here's the reality. We live in a world where we as Christians need each other to help dwell in these things. But far too often what churches really look like is a bunch of sinners who gather together to share the same sins. Think about it. Oh, that sin's okay. We all share that sin. Come on in. Instead of realizing what an honorable person does, which is try to help you be more like Christ. So here's how this practices. I had to pick some random names. If you don't like the names, you can tell me later. I, this is the best I got. So if your name happens to be this, 
I'm sorry. But let's take a couple. John Doe and Jane Doe. First of all, if your name actually is Jane Doe, you should write your parents a note saying, why'd you do that to me? John Doe and Jane Doe, they gather together. And let's say John Doe's had a really bad day. And he comes home to his lovely wife, Mrs. Doe. And they're sitting there and, and you know, and as they're coming home, they, he comes home and he's had a really bad day. And he comes home and he says, I've had the worst day. My boss did this. This coworker did this. The kids this morning... They teepeed my bed. Why? Who does that? You know, that kind of stuff. And I just don't understand. It feels like my life's falling apart. And Jane Doe sits there and sees him viewing off this venomous gas into the atmosphere, right? This anger, this just exploding. And Jane Doe goes, well, you know what? You should be mad, right? You should, that, that boss did not treat you well. And the kids, oh, I don't know what we're doing wrong, but it's clearly your fault, Right? And as we're sitting here, that instead of coming to a place where she edifies, she's allowing him to vent. When we vent, you know what happens? All we're doing is exploding from the pressure that's built up without actually solving the problem, which is the pressure. And then what ends up happening is Jane Doe sits there and goes, well, John Doe just vented to me, so now I get to vent. <laughs> you think you had a bad day. Wait till you hear about my day. Right? And it goes on and on and on all over this world. And it happens in churches. It happens in coffee houses. It happens with best friends. It happens with relatives. It happens with cousins. And instead of really edifying each other and showing each other what is honorable, which, by the way, is the truth and the nature of who Jesus is, what we do is we allow each other to vent thinking that's healthy, but all we're really doing is destroying the kingdom of God. And when we destroy the kingdom of God, we're destroying the safety and the sanctity that God wants us to have, which is the peace that dwells within us. And here's the problem. The reason a lot of times we don't feel peace is because we're not at peace with ourselves. And we expect the world to be our peace. Newsflash, it's not the way it works. And so when someone's venting, what you do is you go, boy, I'm really sorry. And you listen and you encourage and you say, I'm not trying to minimize your feelings, right? It, that sounds like you had a really difficult day, a really difficult week. I'm going to weep with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to grieve with you. But I want you to know as we go through this process, God is still on his throne. God still cares. And you point to the fact that he will never fail us, that he will never forsake us. And we speak wisdom and words of life into each other's life, all the while showing each other that we don't have to live in the misery and the conundrum that the world wants to cast at our feet because Jesus has overcome death. He can overcome our insignificant, seemingly significant, very real problems. Jane and John Doe. Let's go to the other extreme. The other extreme, sometimes in the Christian world, you have two guys. I just randomly pick names here. You can love them or like them or hate them. Let's call them tough and buff. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's me, right? I saw your hands. Okay, so tough and buff, come in. And, and they come in and they're, they're Christians. Let's say they even deke at the church, right? And they come in 
And as they're talking with each other, the, Tuff goes up to Buff and goes, dude, rough week. That's it. Three words, right? Buff responds like this. Dude, God's on a stone. Get over it. <laughs> Tuff goes, all right, what do we do? Buff goes, let's go get distracted and pump some iron. And they go, yeah, let's go pump some iron. And they distract themselves and ignore the fact that they really have some problems they need to talk through. And tough and buff can be ladies too. We do realize that, right? But tough and buff have this mentality of if we ignore the problem, it just goes away. And so instead of really taking the opportunity to spend in time of conversation, in times of listening, in times of walking through the other person in their grief, in times of sometimes, yes, husbands holding her hand, in times of going through those moments where you can't just simplify everything and saying, God's on his throne, get over it. It doesn't work that way. You need to speak nobility, honor, wisdom, and truth into each other's life. Now, if the church, and I'm not talking just Calvary at 310 Calberry Lane, in case you're a podcast listener, join us. West Lafayette, Indiana, 47906. <laughs> I'm not just saying that the church at Calvary should practice that. This is what the universal church should practice. And what would it look like instead of gathering together and complaining about how everybody else sins, but we don't sin, but really we just ignore our sins? Remember the sinners practicing the same sins? What would it look like if we really had those moments in our life where we said, you're struggling, I'm struggling, we're all struggling, and we walked each other not as tough and buff and not as John Doe and Jane Doe, but as followers of Christ, speaking the honorable wisdom of the truth of the character and the nature of Jesus Christ into their lives? What would that look like? Because here's the reality. I'm not perfect and neither are you. Which is why when we gave you the six-week challenge, for those of you who were here last week, we challenged you to be here for six straight weeks. We need each other. Because there's going to be times when I might start gossiping and I need someone to say, Daniel, I love you enough to say, stop. Because any time that you aren't building up someone else's integrity, dignity, you're leading to depravity and destroying the kingdom of God and you're ultimately destroying the dwelling of peace that lives in you. So this morning, let's all wrap our arms and our minds around the fact that we all should feel guilty a little, <laughs> but God still loves us because none of us can do this well except for what Jesus does in us. And let's speak into each other's lives the truth and the nobility of God wants us to get better. And let's practice this life. And it starts within you. Do you want to live at peace? Cling to the truth and build up other people. So what's the Monday morning application? Very simple. The Monday morning application is be selective where you dwell. Now, here's the other part. I'm going to give you six points to do that. <laughs> Some of you are like, you gave the Monday morning application, we're done. Nope, got six more points. But they're going to go quick. So I hardly ever do this, but if you want to screenshot this, pull out your phone. The last service did, I had like 100. I was like, oh, don't take my picture. Take the screen. You can do that. 
But I would love for you to practice this this week because it's hard for you to remember six things. The first one is this. In order to be selective where you dwell, you have to identify who or what is influencing you. Who or what is influencing you? If social media is telling you that the world's against you, get off social media. If you have bad friends, speak the words of wisdom into them, but stop letting them affect who you are. If you are finding that there is a cancerous kind of environment in your life that is leading you down a path of destruction, stop it. That's it. Because you need to realize, and the big reason that we fall into bad place in our heart and our mind is we are affected by things that we don't know are affecting us because we don't ever stop to take the time to realize how the world is affecting us. I quit years ago. I didn't share this last service. I just feel like saying it now. I quit years ago going to radar movies. Why? Because it's just a boundary line that's easy for me. Is it wrong to go to radar movie? That's between you and God. I'm not judging. But I did because I realized it's rated R because they don't think my kids should hear it. If my kids shouldn't hear it, I probably shouldn't hear it. You can deal with that as you want. That's Daniel Barry. Does that make sense? You are being influenced by the things that listen. And when you came in here right now, you're being influenced. And some of you are sitting there going, you either agree with me or you disagree with me or you're asleep. Those are the only three options. <laughs> Seriously, some of you need to nail No, I'm just kidding. Um, and how you're being influenced matters. And so every single person, every single whisper, every single voice that comes into your life is affecting you either for or against something. And you're making determinations all the time. Be aware of that. And let it shape you in the right direction. Second, realize not only what is true, but ask if what you're hearing is true. Is it factual? Is it provable? Not like this. Well, if this happens, then we may have no more friends. Well, is that factual? No, that's a what if. Can you prove that? No. What you can prove is, well, Jesus has always been with me. Probably always will. We've always had food on the table. We've always had a roof over our head. We have a church that if we start losing those or incoming danger of those, we'll walk us through that. We have a benevolence offering next week. We'd love you to participate with that. That helps people in our church who are struggling because they lost a job or something like that. We will take care of you. God will take care of you. You can trust. You can rely. You can have faith. That's the truth. Third, is it honorable? If it doesn't help lift up humanity and point to God, it's not honorable. Period. Four, if it is not honorable, if it is not true, if it is a bad influence, I'm no longer going to let those influences affect me. How? Well, I'm going to either speak Jesus into their lives and realize they can be in my life and I'm just not going to let them affect me. Or I need to realize they don't need to be in my life right now. And I'm going to create some boundaries. That can be hard. We'll help you through it. But I'm not going to be influenced. And once again, I'm going to say this again. If you need to get off social media, get off of it. Fifth, I'm going to seek godly influencers. Because I can't just cut things out of my life and not put something in. Which is why we need each other. We need to be involved in a small group. We need people to whisper. We need to listen to podcasts. We need to read our Bible. We need to have godly people whispering what it looks like to follow and look like Jesus. Lifting up humanity. Lifting up each other and encouraging each other. And then as I do that, I'm going to do the last step, which is become a godly influencer. 
because I'm going to share what I know, that the God of this universe loves you and he loves me. You see, the Easter story, the Christmas story, isn't just for Christmas and Easter. There was a God who took on the form of humanity and walked among us. And he knew that you were broken and he knew that I was broken and he lived a life and died on a cross so that you and I could have peace. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you acknowledge from your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. And we want to We want you to know that's why we're here. So you've never done that. I would encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Stop by the next step space and say, I want to follow Jesus. Come to Discovering Calvary tonight and say, hey, this is the place where I tell people I want to follow Jesus. We want to do that for you. Because life shouldn't be hard, but it is. So we need each other to be godly influences. And we need peace. So God, in this moment and in this room, we ask for your presence to dwell among us. Bring us peace. Bring us comfort. Bring us security that can only be found in our relationship with you. So God, in this moment, in this room, we ask for the shackles of despair to fall. The moments of agony and the what-ifs to be replaced with the what is true. God, for those who are grieving in this room, we pray for an, an extra measure of comfort that they would feel like your arms are wrapping them saying, I know my son, my daughter. I'm so sorry. But I'm going to be here with you through this. That we would lift each other up, that we would listen to each other, and that we would encourage each other that you are still on your throne now and forevermore because you have conquered death and you are the great I am. You are our provider, our protector, our healer, our peace, our source of hope, our source of strength. The great I am. And we want to dwell with you now and into eternity. So God, move among us as we worship you because you are so good. Move. Your name I pray, amen.